I grew up in an era where Saturday morning cartoons were very iconic, and so G.I. Joe and Transformers and, and Ninja Turtles, it was a good three or four hour stint every Saturday morning. But the commercials were just as iconic as the shows. For example, one commercial was for the men's warehouse. Do you guys remember the men's warehouse commercials? They had a guy named George Zimmer on there, and George Zimmer had a very kind of gravelly voice, and he talked like this, and he talked about all the deals that they had. And he always said a tagline at the end of his commercial. And I'm going to see if you can remember. This is going to date some of you, and, and some of you will have no idea how to finish this. But he would end every commercial with this line. You're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. And so, Faith, yeah, I guarantee it. He would always say that. He actually wrote a book that said, you're going to like the way this book reads. I guarantee it. Everything he did, he had the I guarantee it. Uh, he became famous for that and kind of put them on the map. There's a lot of guarantees in life, a lot of things we can guarantee. It's not just about death and taxes. There's much we can guarantee. There's a lot we can guarantee in Scripture. And, and most of it is, is stuff to celebrate, you know, guarantees that God gives us, promises that we know God is going to fulfill. But there are guarantees in Scripture that we should sometimes step back and, and just stand in awe of. For example, there's a guarantee in Scripture for God's people, and it goes like this. You will suffer. You will suffer. Either you have, you are, or you will suffer. You will struggle you will experience pain. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. You'll experience grief. You'll be treated unfairly. You're going to lose. You're going to be put down. You're going to experience frustration, depression, and hopelessness. And you're going to experience these things even while other people prosper. Life is hard. And if you're like, man, I've never really experienced anything really painful, just wait, it will happen. It will happen, especially if we're following Jesus. At some point, you're going to find yourself in a pit. It's going to feel dark and you're going to feel alone. Luckily, we see in scripture that we aren't the first people to experience such things. Last week, we saw that Joseph was unjustly beaten. He was stripped of this, this ornate robe that his father had given him. He was thrown into a pit and then he was sold for the price of a slave. And now he is a servant. He is owned by somebody else in a foreign land. He is in a pit. He is in a pit. And it would be very tempting at this point in the story, if you were just reading through to ask the question, where is God in all of this? Like, where is God? Why hasn't God showed up to do something? Why hasn't he, why hasn't he stepped up and revealed himself? Where is God in all of this? And if you've read this story, some of you can answer that question. But if we're just reading this as is, we're going to ask that question. The beauty is we can answer that question today. 
in a way that I pray gives us hope and, and transforms our lives and really changes the way we live day in and day out. So turn to Genesis 39. Turn to Genesis 39. Remember, have God's word in front of you as God's word is being preached to you. Genesis 39. We're going to start in verse 1. Read along with me uh, as you're sitting there. It says this, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. You want to underline something today? Underline that in verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him. Underline that again in verse 3. The Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. And so Potiphar was this high-ranking Egyptian official. And it says he was captain of the guard. That, that maybe means that he was over the jail, as we'll kind of see later. That, that's where Joseph ends up, spoiler alert. Uh, but we don't really know what that means, but it's a, a position of some prestige and some power. He had affairs. He, he, he owned servants and slaves to handle those affairs, which Joseph was one. And so he buys Joseph as a slave. He, he takes Joseph out of the pit. Joseph is still in the pit. I mean, if you're a servant, if you're owned by somebody else, life is not going well. And again, we ask the question, where is God in all of this? And we saw in verse 2, and we saw in verse 3, we underline both of those things. Where was God? God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. And there are really two ways to look at this phrase. The Lord was with Joseph. And the first obviously implies that God is present with Joseph in the pit. God is present with Joseph. In the pit, his brothers have abandoned him. God has not. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. We're going to see that over and over again in the book of Genesis. The question for us is, is the Lord present with us in a similar way? Is God with us? If you confess Christ as Lord and Savior, if you claim that his blood has covered your sins, if you own the reality that the work on the cross was sufficient to cover your iniquity, if you shout from the rooftops, I have been saved by grace through faith because of the work of Jesus Christ, you have Christ's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you have God living and indwelling 
in you. The entire book of Matthew, it begins with Emmanuel, God with us. It ends with Emmanuel. He tells them, Jesus in the Great Commission, go and make disciples. And guess what? I am going to be with you till the end of the age. God is with you. God has come to us to be with us. God has indwelt us. There is nowhere we can go that God will not go with us. I preached this sermon this morning, and I had a 90-year-old lady come up to me and say, God is our ever-present help in times of trouble. God does not cease to be with us as his children. Through pain and plenty, whether you're in the pit or you're headed to the palace, God is with you. God will never leave you or forsake you. I guarantee it. Suffering with loss, God is near. Do you feel lonely? God is close to you. Have you been hurt by someone? Abandoned, left. God has not abandoned you. Just because you're in the pit, it doesn't mean that God isn't present. In fact, we can have peace in times of trouble. When things are dark, when we feel hopeless, when we have doubts, we can have peace in those moments because we know in the pit, God is always present. God is always present. Matthew Henry says, in light of this passage, our enemies may strip us of outward distinctions and ornaments, but wisdom and grace cannot be taken from us. They may separate us from friends, relatives, and country, but they cannot take from us the presence of the Lord. They may shut us from outward blessings, rob us of liberty, and confine us in dungeons, but they cannot shut us out from communion with God, from the throne of grace, or take from us the blessings of salvation. God is present with Joseph, If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God is present with you. There's no height nor depth that can separate you from his love in Christ Jesus. The Lord is also with Joseph in the sense that he is working in and through Joseph, blessing everything That he does. I mean, Joseph becomes a successful man under the Potiphar's care. And so we're first told that he's brought in to the Potiphar's house. That was a step up for a slave or a servant to be inside. Now we're like, that still seems like less, but it was again a promotion. We see that he becomes the Potiphar's assistant. And I don't know what that means. I mean, he got him food or he did little chores for him or or made sure he looked nice throughout the day. I mean, I don't know. But but he was next to Potiphar, serving Potiphar daily. And Potiphar saw something different in Joseph. And so Joseph gets promoted again. And now Potiphar essentially makes him the general manager of all his affairs. He's taking care of everything. So the only thing that Potiphar had to worry about was, what am I going to eat today? And so we see this this meteoric rise of Joseph 
in Potiphar's house. But the author of, of Genesis really wants to make clear who is responsible for Joseph's elevation. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3 again. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Joseph's success is due to God's presence with him. God is with Joseph. Joseph is on fire here. Have you ever been, I mean, who put, but raise your hand if you played basketball. Just two of the ladies, not that athletic. Okay, okay, more athletic of a church over here. And so, uh, so you've ever been on fire playing basketball? It's only happened like once or twice in my life where I just can't, and it was never in front of people. It was always like me and three friends where I just can't not make a basket. Everything I'm throwing up is going through the hoop. Better illustration. One day, I bowled a 177 at the bowling alley. A 177. I felt like I was on fire. I felt like I was knocking down strikes and just knocking down spares. I applied for my pro card the, the next day. My wife thought I was crazy. And, and then I bowled like an 80. I couldn't have stayed out of the gutter the next time. I mean, Joseph is bowling a 300 here. He's bowling a perfect game, but the author wants to make it clear. It is God directing his ball. It is God knocking down the pins. Which there's a lesson here for us that should prevent us from having an overinflated ego. Every good thing that God does to us. Every good thing that God does through us. All of our success in life, and in ministry, they are gifts from God. All of our success in life and ministry are gifts from God. And that truth will always lead me to humility. That truth will always make me humble. God's presence, it gives me, it gives me peace in the pit and, and humility whenever I prosper. And there are going to be times of both. There are going to be times of pain, and there are going to be times of plenty. There are going to be times where you prosper, and there are going to be times where you're in the pit. But, but whenever I succeed in life and ministry, it's because God is being gracious and good to me. And as a pastor, I'm going to be very honest with you. Every pastor struggles with this. And so if they say they don't, they are a liar. As a pastor, it is tempting to take credit when good things happen in a church. As a leader, it is tempting to take credit when people come to a saving faith. When your ministry flourishes, when your church grows, it's easy as a fallen human being to look in the mirror and say, man, look at all this stuff, you big guy. You are something special. When I should be looking up and saying, no, no, God, you are special. You have been good and gracious to work in me and through me to accomplish these things. When my kids make good decisions, 
when they put their faith in the Lord, yes, there's a part of me being faithful, but it's ultimately God working in their life. When, when people come to a saving faith, yes, God uses me, but that's the idea. He works through me. It is not my power, but His. His Spirit working in people's lives to open up their eyes to the reality of the gospel. My success is ultimately His success. And when I prosper, it's because He is gracious. God is with Joseph. He will not leave Joseph and he is blessing his work. God is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. God is with you causing all that is good to happen in your life. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. A person aware of the presence of God in their life, like a person who is aware that God is with them at all times, that person is just going to look different. I mean, the Potiphar saw that, right? We don't know what exactly the Potiphar saw. Maybe it was Joseph's hard work. But, but generally, you can kind of tell when somebody knows, man, I, I got God with me. He is my refuge. He is my strength. I mean, that person is going to have a little bit of a strut, a little bit of swagger. Because the God of the universe has their back, right? They're going to handle pain in a certain way because God is with them. They're also going to approach temptation and sin a certain way. And that's what we see next. Look at verse 6. This is the second part of verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time... His master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so she spoke to Joseph day after day. Look at this. He would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. And so we, we, we look at this passage. And like yours truly, Joseph is handsome in form and appearance. He's a solid nine. He's a solid nine here. He's a nine or a ten. Don't give me that look, Adam Vanna, man. Potiphar's wife notices him and wants to know him in a biblical sense. And day after day, she propositions him. And day after day, he denies her. He doesn't just deny her. He doesn't want to listen to her anymore. And I just see her coming into a room and him just leaving. Like, I don't even want to be propositioned anymore. And we kind of see this play out here. To accept this proposal would be a great offense to this man, Potiphar, who's really given him a lot. He's given him a place to live. He's given him responsibility. He's given him purpose and a job. But more importantly, this would be a great offense, a sin against this God he loves. This God who is working through him. You know, why would he choose to disobey this God 
that is clearly with him and working through him. I mean, if others notice this, I mean, Joseph has to notice this as well. Why would he choose to disobey this God? So he doesn't even want to listen to her. But she corners him. Look at verse 11. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men in the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And so one day, Potiphar's wife is, is on the prowl. And she, she hunts him down and she, she catches her prey alone. He's alone. He can't get out of her. Get out of here. Get out of her. <laughs> and unable to free himself from the cougar's grip, he flees. <laughs> leaving the garment in her hand. I mean, Joseph is clearly presented as an example here of how we're to approach not just temptation. I mean, it is how we're to approach temptation, but really sexual temptation. It's how we're to approach those things. And and there's a term academics use to describe what our response should be as God's children in the face of temptation. And this was a term I learned in seminary, and it has a Greek basis, but, but here it is. In the face of temptation, run. Like run. Don't mess around with it. Don't play with it. Don't entertain it. Run. We talked about it in Colossians. We talked about murdering our sin. Owning a tiger is never a good idea. You can't domesticate a tiger, it'll bite your arm off. You can't domesticate your sin. In the same way, if you saw, if we all left here and, you know, we're we're getting our, our treats for Father's Day, if there was a tiger in the parking lot, run inside. Run away. Run away from the tiger. Let the fool who's like, oh, a cuddly tiger. Let them get eaten. As you run, flee. You know, I wonder if Paul had Joseph in mind here when he wrote 1 Corinthians 6.18. Again, Paul knew these, this history. Paul knew these stories. And so Paul in, in, in 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. Run from it. And here's the problem. Temptation abounds in our culture. There's temptation everywhere. Sexual temptation super abounds in our culture. It is everywhere. And like Potiphar's wife, you are being constantly inundated, whether it's online, through television, through marketing, to cross that line to transgress, to sin against God when it comes to sexual immorality. I mean, the internet pops up ads that essentially say, come lie with me. Come enjoy yourself. Come take a break. And I'm not sure as as a church, and I don't mean just central, I mean a church in general, if we really take this call seriously to flee from, from sexual immorality. I mean, if, if Barna studies are remotely true, over half of all Christian men view pornography at least once a month. 
Now, when the younger you get, the more often that happens. 57% of pastors say pornography is the main issue destroying their congregation. It is everywhere, and it destroys. We are called to flee from those things. In fact, don't just say no to, to sexual immorality. Put yourself in a situation where you don't even have to make that hard decision. Here's what I mean. If you, if you have a girlfriend and you're dating, don't wait till you're in the back seat of the car at 11 o'clock at night under the stars alone to decide to flee sexual temptation. That's not a good time to be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be here. You know, don't get in the car. Don't hang out alone when you're dating at a young age. Don't be out past a certain time. You know, if what you're looking at on the internet is a struggle, I mean, pull your computer out to someplace public. You know, limit yourself to, to hours that you're going to look at it or just cut it off altogether if you have to do that. I mean, make the easy decision now so you don't have to make the hard decision later. Does that make sense? Make an easy decision when you're not tempted now to not even put yourself in a situation to make the hard decision later. Now, we've been talking a lot about God's presence today, especially that first part of the sermon. And I'm not sure if the author of Genesis is making this connection or not, but Paul makes a connection between fleeing from sexual immorality and God's presence. And, and I don't usually do this, but jump over to 1 Corinthians 6.18. Jump over to 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The idea here is to, to not give in to temptation to, to flee in this area because whatever you do with your body, you are bringing God along for the ride. You're bringing God along for the ride. It's not just that you belong to him and you were bought with a price. He is with you. He is present. And if I truly believe that God is present, whether I'm around people like this or whether I'm on my phone late at night and my family is asleep, if I truly believe that God is ultimately here with me now, that wisdom will move me to flee from temptation. God's presence gives us peace in the pit, humility when we prosper, and the wisdom to flee from temptation. I mean, think about it. If I'm there by myself, and if Jesus is physically sitting next to me with his arm on my shoulder, watching what I watch, that will change what I look at. And that's the idea here. And 
And, and Joseph is a model for us. He's, he's obedient. He flees. And while obedience always has an eternal benefit, a spiritual benefit, it will often cost you in the real world. It'll cost you in the real world. Look at verse 13 as we close up here. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand, she had fled out of the house. She called to the men of her house and said to them, See, he has brought among us Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Again, once again, Joseph's garment, what he's wearing, plays an important role in the story. And as before, it's used to deceive other people. Potiphar's wife gathers the whole household together and, and her, her, she tells a story and she, she buries her husband here. It's his fault. He brought this Hebrew slave into our home and accuses Joseph of a great sin. Look at verse 16. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home and she told him the same story saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in and came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. And so she tells her husband, the same story in her fictional retelling of these non-fiction realities. It has their intended purpose. It, Potiphar gets angry and furious, and he throws Joseph in prison. Joseph is back where he has started. He is in the pit. He is in the pit. But look at verse 21. Look at verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. In the air, looking down at this story, God is doing something with, with Joseph here. He's taking him on a ride of sorts. He's preparing Joseph for something his greater plans have yet to be unveiled to us as the reader. But there are great things in motion when we're looking at this story from the top down. But on the ground level, we see a God who is with Joseph. We see a God who is with Joseph, working in and through Joseph and moving Joseph to obedience. God is with him. God is with us. And, and I said this before, when, when I think we understand that as God's children, Christ's spirit lives in us, that God is present with us, I truly do believe that, that we will have peace in the pit. We, we will have humility when we prosper and the wisdom to flee from temptation. And so there's a prayer I want you to pray this week. And this is, if you, if you pray this consistently, I really do believe it will change every minute of your life. And you can pray this prayer. God, 
Make me aware of your presence. In the here and now, whether I'm in the pit, in the palace, headed to the palace, headed to the pit, no matter where you are, in the here and now, God, make me aware of your presence in my life. Years ago, and I've talked about this before, but years ago, a company called Enchroma developed glasses for individuals who deal with colorblindness. And if you watch these videos, these, these grown men, these big, like there's one with a big old bodybuilder kind of guy, and uh, they give him these glasses, and for the first time, he sees what has always been there. He sees these greens and these yellows and these blues, and, and he breaks down and just cries. And he goes, this is, changes everything. I can't believe I see this, and this has always been there. This is amazing. I pray for you to, to have spiritual glasses, to see the God who is already there, to make you aware of his presence, to see things that have been there all along. God is there. God is with you. And you may know that theologically or hypothetically, but, but really pray for the glasses to make you aware of his presence so that you may be given peace when things are anything but peaceful. Pray that God's presence gives you peace when life is anything but peaceful. Pray that you're made aware of his presence so that when you do prosper, you are moved to humility and thankfulness. Pray for his presence so that you may flee from sin in light of his location to you.